Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Welcome to Advent. Advent in the age in which we are doing life together. Our age is a secular age where the sacred is pushed to the periphery. To keep the sacred at the center of your life is a heroic act of defiance against the spirit of the age. I advocate that kind of holy rebellion, that kind of sacred defiance. And spirituality is not enough. Amorphous spirituality too easily becomes little more than a mood with a sprinkling of wellness techniques. We need something more rigorous something more deeply rooted, something that draws upon the deep wells of ancient wisdom and practice. And that's what we find in the great tradition of the Christian church. Now, within the great tradition, we have a calendar, a sacred calendar, a way of marking time through the course of the year by telling the story of Jesus Christ. So we have two calendars. With our secular calendar, we organize our life in a secular world. But with the sacred calendar, we are being formed in the gospel story of Jesus Christ. Of course, Christmas is now also firmly entrenched in the secular calendar, December 25th. But how the secular calendar and the sacred calendar approach Christmas is quite different. The demand of the secular Christmas season is to be in a great hurry, while the aim of Advent is to instill a quiet slowness in our soul. Advent is four weeks of longing for the coming of Messiah. Advent is about waiting a practice most of us in our secular age are not very good at. Yet, patience is a holy virtue that we need to cultivate. So on the first Sunday in Advent, we embrace the slowness, we lean into the waiting because it's good for our soul. And during the four Sundays of Advent, we're going to wait for Messiah with four Hebrew prophets, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Micah, and Malachi. These are poet prophets who lived about 500 years before Christ. We're going to pay attention to their inspired poems that imagine Messiah and a surprising salvation. We'll begin today with Jeremiah. One part of one of his poems goes like this. Jeremiah 33, 14. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. 
in those days. And at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. Jehovah Sid Canoe. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet for the end times. Jeremiah prophesied during the end of the city of Jerusalem and its holy temple and the people living peaceably in their own land. We need such prophets because some things are always coming to the end. You're always living in the end times of something. Only God and his kingdom are eternal. So we're always living in the end times of something. And so Jeremiah prophesied the coming end. But when it came, when the end finally did come, in the form of disaster, in the form of calamity, then Jeremiah changes his tune. And he's no longer prophesying the dire end, he's prophesying hope. This is how the prophets are. When the people of God are too comfortable, too complacent, especially settled within their own sins, the prophets come along and trouble the people about their idolatry and their injustice. And this is when prophets are unpopular. But when true calamity falls the people of God, now they come not with trouble, but they come with comfort. They come saying things like, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And so Jeremiah, following the destruction of Jerusalem, the deportation of the people, begins to bring a message of comfort and hope. Jeremiah prophesied of God's faithful love for Israel, a new covenant, and the better days to come. He says, in those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and its name will be called Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. So Jerusalem had been destroyed. Judah had gone into captivity. And David's royal line had come to an end. David, the great king of Israel, and his son Solomon, and the line continued for hundreds of years. A son of David upon the throne, but now it's come to an end. Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. As the armies of Nebuchadnezzar were breaking into the city, he tried to escape. Got as far as Jericho. But there he was captured by the Babylonian army. And his sons, his sons, who one would someday become king of Judah, his sons were put to death before his eyes. And then his eyes were put out. And then he was put in chains and carried away captive to Babylon. 
And the message was quite clear that the king of Babylon had wiped out the royal line of David. There would be no more royal line of David, no more sons of David to sit upon the throne. Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. Zedekiah is basically the same as Sidkenu. The Lord is righteous. So when things were the bleakest for Judah, Jeremiah dared to prophesy hope. Jeremiah says these dark days are not the end of days because a new day will come. I mean, things couldn't be worse. Everything was lost. Everything had come to an end. But Jeremiah, who had prophesied the end, said, guess what? The end is not the end. These bad days are not the end of days. A new day will come. The day will come when God will fulfill all the good things he has promised. God makes good promises out of his own goodness because God is good. And Jeremiah says, God will fulfill all of his good promises. That day will come. God had promised that the descendants of David would have an eternal reign. God had promised that the reign of David's son would bring peace and justice. God had promised that a king from the line of David would reign one day, not just over Israel, but over the whole world. That's the promise. But how can it be? How can that come to pass now that Zedekiah is in chains and all of his sons have been slain. God's good promises for Israel were all connected to the kingly line of David and this had come to an end with Zedekiah. Well, Jeremiah doesn't say how this will come to pass. The prophets rarely do. They don't get bothered with those kind of details they just get inspired by the Spirit and they say what God tells them to say regardless of how impossible or improbable in my book. Jeremiah doesn't know how this will come to pass. But Jeremiah does know two things. He knows that God is good and that God is faithful. Do you know those two things? That God really is good? God is not angry, violent, and retributive. That is not what God is like. God is good. And God is faithful. He's not mercurial. He's not capricious. He's not this way one day and the other way the next day. No, God is faithful. God has made good promises. And those good promises will come to pass. God's promises will come to pass because God is faithful and true. And so I have good news for you today. Let me be your Jeremiah. Anybody need any good news? Your Zedekiah moment is not the end of your story. You've seen some loss in your life. And you feel like you've been blinded to any future goodness. That's Zedekiah's experience. Loss has come into your life and you can't see how any good thing can come again ever. Well, when you can't see 
You got to walk by faith, don't you? We walk by faith and not by sight. You feel like you've been carried away captive to a place where you don't want to be. You feel like these bad days are going to be your end of days. No, it's not true. These bad days will not be your end of days. The day will come when God will do for you all the good things he has promised. So just hold on. Just hold on. Advent is about waiting. And waiting for God to fulfill all his good promises. We wait, we wait, we wait. And then we get to the New Testament. I mean, we're in the Old Testament prophesy, with the prophets prophesying Messiah coming and goodness. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the promises are connected to the son of David, but the sons of David have all been slain. But then you get to the New Testament. You know how the New Testament begins? Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Oh, there is a son of David born in Bethlehem, the city of David. That's what the angel says, right? Fear not. Because, because they were sore afraid, amen. Sore afraid. And the angel says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Advent is about waiting for God to fulfill his good promises. And he does it through Jesus. God fulfills all of his good promises. We can say it this way, through Christmas. The surprise of Christ given unto you. At Christmas time, you know, we give gifts. God doesn't give many gifts. God only has one gift. God doesn't give lots of gifts. God only has one gift, and that one gift is Jesus. And all of the goodness of God is wrapped up in that one gift of Jesus. Paul says it like this. For every one of God's promises finds its yes in Christ. For this reason, it is through him that we say amen to the glory of God. See how it works? God makes a promise. Jesus comes along and is the yes fulfillment of it. And we just stand right there and go, amen. That's what you need to do. Just stand there, hold on to the promise until Jesus shows up and says, yes. And then you just go, amen to the glory of God. God makes the promise. Jesus says, yes. Our only role in it is to say, amen, glory to God. When God in Christ fulfills his good promise for you, you live in a place called Jehovah Sidkenu. We're told the name of the place will be Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. That can be a bit abstract to think of it like that. How about... Uh, the name of the place will be called the Lord makes it all right. The Lord makes it right. The Lord sets things straight. The Lord sets things right. It's a mess now. It's a ruin now. But God's going to keep his promise. He's going to do it through the son of David. He's going to do it through a king. 
He's going to set things right. And we'll just call the place. This is the place where God set things right. Because when no one else can make things right, Jesus can make things right. And that's what we're waiting for in Advent. We're waiting for Jesus to show up as the yes fulfillment of the... God has made the promise that it's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. You're going to be blessed. God has made the promise. Now we're just waiting for Jesus to come up, show up on the scene and say, yes. And bring it to pass. And then we just say amen and call the name of the place. Jehovah's the place where the Lord set things right. Now, while you're waiting, beware of thinking you know how Jesus will set things right. I mean, one of two things will happen. Either you start thinking, how's Jesus going to do it? And you can't even imagine it. And so you despair because you end up thinking there's no way. It just, it just can't be set right. It's impossible. So you despair. Or you think, oh, I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet this is going to happen. And it almost certainly won't. The promise of God through the prophet Jeremiah was that Jerusalem will be saved. That's the promise. And so this becomes a primary task of the one they're waiting for, of Messiah, to save Jerusalem from her enemies, right? You see how that is? Jerusalem has been conquered by enemies. They're deported. They come back after a while, but they're still under the thumb of their enemies. But the promise is that Jerusalem will be saved. See? And so they're waiting for a son of David, a true king, a king of righteousness, to come and fulfill the promises. And so they're waiting for Messiah. But when Messiah comes in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, salvation becomes surprising because it's not what anybody expected. Everyone, and by everyone I mean literally everyone, Everyone in those days expected Messiah to, want to launch a war of liberation against Rome. That's why the Romans were always so nervous about these Jews talking about some Messiah. Because everybody, I mean the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the common people, the elite, the sinners, the righteous, Jesus' disciples and Jesus' mom, Everybody expected Messiah to launch a war of liberation against the Romans. And then some people become convinced that Jesus is the one. The true son of David that all of the promises of God are wrapped up in. And so they are expecting Jesus to do what everybody expects Messiah to do, to launch a war of liberation against Rome. But that's not what Jesus does. Surprise. In fact, Jesus does the exact opposite. Instead of saying, you know, man your battle stations, Jesus says, love your enemies. Instead of saying, take up your sword, Jesus says, take up your cross. 
Instead of blessing the Lord, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the children of God. Because Jesus knows that salvation through violence is no salvation at all. It just keeps the cycle going. It just perpetuates the same old thing. And what goes around comes around. And Jesus is here to save us from the cycle, not perpetuate it. Jesus also knows that as long as we hate our enemies, we're a prisoner to them. It doesn't matter who wins the war. As long as we hate our enemies, we're a prisoner to them. So instead, Jesus absorbs the violence and forgives the sin and invites us into the new Jerusalem, the Jehovah's Sidkenu, the place where God through Messiah sets things right. And this is a new Jerusalem that's built upon the blood of the lamb. Where faith, hope, and love reign and all things are set right. So during Advent, I want you to be filled with expectation. I want you to have a living hope that some newness is coming your way. That some salvation is coming your way. That some rescue is coming your way. That help from heaven is coming to you. Can you expect that? But I don't want you to say, I know exactly what that salvation is. And I'll wait for that to happen. Don't do that. No, salvation is not found in a particular outcome that we might anticipate. Because no one... No one anticipated this kind of salvation that Jesus brings. No one was saying, oh, here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to absorb our sins and our violence into his own body, forgive it all, go down into death and destroy death and liberate all those that are captives of death, rise again and establish a new people who will live in the resurrection. Nobody was saying that. Nobody. They could only see it after the fact. And suddenly everything goes, oh, oh, this is way, this is way This is way better than what we expected. This is really good news. But they they couldn't see it until it was. So God is bringing a salvation to you. I want you to expect it. I want you to wait for it. But be careful about saying, and I know what it's going to look like. Because we probably don't. Salvation is not found in a particular outcome that we may anticipate. Salvation is found in a particular person. That's the only thing you really need to know. You don't know exactly how it's going to happen or what it's going to look like. You just know who's going to do it. And it's going to be Jesus. So rally around Jesus. This is is a season to draw near to Jesus. Spend some time with Jesus. Rally around Jesus and just stay there until salvation finds you. You don't have to go looking for the rescue, the help, the deliverance, the healing, whatever. Just rally around Jesus and stay there until salvation comes and finds you. And it's a salvation that will probably surprise you. When it finds you, it'll probably surprise you. The unexpected salvation that Jesus brings is the greatest and most wonderful surprise of all. So let's wait for that salvation. 
a salvation that will surely surprise us, though we know not how. I mean, you can say, I expect to be surprised, but then you're still surprised because you think, oh, I didn't think it would be like that. So let's wait for a salvation that will surely surprise us, though we know not how. This is what Advent is about, waiting for the salvation surprise of Christmas. May the four weeks of waiting through Advent remove from you all false expectations. So you just say, I'm just waiting. What are you waiting for? I'm not sure. I'm waiting on God. What's God going to do? I don't know. It's going to be a surprise. (laughs) Just wait. And say, I don't even know what I'm waiting for. I just know who I'm waiting for. I'm waiting on God. I don't know how God's going to come or what it's going to look like exactly. I don't have any expectations except that God will come. And how he'll come, I don't know. But I believe he will because he's faithful and true. If we can let go, if we can be set free during Advent from our false expectations, well, then at last, God's surprising salvation can come to you without any disappointment because you... There'll be nothing, you'll have nothing but the unbounded, unbridled joy of children on Christmas morning. Because you don't know what you're getting for Christmas. But you know that your Heavenly Father is good. And He's going to bring you something better than you could, well, greater than we could ask or even think. Or maybe I've got it all wrong. Maybe God isn't going to bring a gift to you. Maybe God is going to bring a gift through you. Maybe, maybe it's not to you, but through you. Maybe this Advent you're going to be merry. How about that? Maybe you're not the shepherds. Maybe you're not the wise men this Advent. Maybe you're merry. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to conceive something in you that you're going to bring forth. But you know it's, it's, it's of God. So that what, what, is, what is brought forth would just be called the child of God, the work of God, the gift of God. So this is my prayer for you. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But my prayer for you is that this advent for you would be slow and pregnant. <laughs> I'm going to pray that you have a slow and pregnant advent. The Holy Spirit would conceive something in you and bring something new and saving into the world through you. Can you say amen to that? Stand up. Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray for that. We just, we just consecrate. November 28th, first day of Advent, 2021, we consecrate it to you, God. We're not consecrating that we're going to do so much as we're just going to wait. Lord, help us, to, help us to find some stillness. Help us to find some slowness. Help us to wait. And this is tricky. Help us, God, to wait without really having any expectation. Deliver us from our false expectations. Lord, we, we give these next four weeks to you. We give this season called Advent. We give it to you in waiting. And I think of the promise of Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord will get new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not wear out. 
they'll walk and not faint. Lord, as we wait, day by day, week after week, during this season, I pray that our strength would get renewed. Just every day a little stronger, every day a little stronger, every day a little stronger, just waiting on you. And we say, we don't know what you're going to do, God, but we're just waiting on you. We're waiting on Jesus because Jesus is the everything. Jesus is the salvation of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the peace of God, the healing of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God. And so in Advent, we wait for Jesus to come to us or come through us. For some of us, Jesus is going to come to us. For others, Jesus is going to come through us. Conceive something in us, Holy Spirit, that would be holy and would be a blessing. Amen and amen. Now let's come to the table of the Lord and let's prepare ourselves by first confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.